Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. And a New Year's special edition, episode number 296. And we're recording December 31st, 2018. But you know what? I got a feeling no one's going to hear this until 20... Well, well into 2019. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. (laughs) We are so behind on editing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, in, in fact, uh, here, here's a mile post. Uh, season two of Orville just started. Uh, episode one started last night. Odds are the season will be over, cold, dead by the time we get this episode out. That's true, because uh, I was just editing an episode, and we were talking about this newfangled TV show called Orville that oh. only had one episode so far. <laughs> and we weren't quite sure about it yet. Yeah, exactly. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think in the end uh, it proved itself in its first season pretty well, although quite well, different. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the new season, even though the first two episodes are really the last two episodes of last season that they – For some reason. Had, yeah, they had finished, and then they just cut it and then moved them to season two. Right. It, what was the logic behind that? Did you hear anything about that? No, I didn't. I never heard. What, what, what sense does that make? I don't know. Whatever. I guess so they can have a longer second season. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the advantage would be. Yeah. So I hear in this episode, like Spock in the Palm Far, Bortus needs to travel back to his home planet to take care of a certain um, annual uh, biology thing. Isn't his husband on the sh- on the ship? It's not sexual. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah, look where my mind you, just went to. And <laughs> do you remember what it is? Uh, no. Because they talked about it in season one. Oh. oh. <laughs> Going to the bathroom? Yes, yes. <laughs> he goes to the bathroom once a year, annually. That's funny. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to watching that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally, mind you, but yes, me too. Okay, anyway. All right, but uh, but today our books are a completely different beast. Yes. Uh, we are doing the Star Trek versus Transformers crossover, uh, the first three issues of it, which, as of the recording at the end of 2018, are brand new books. Um, in fact, uh, as of the recording, the fourth issue hasn't even come out yet. So right. um, we're reading something fairly recent, but by the time we edit this, uh, it'll probably be old hat. Yeah, old news. But but uh, uh, but yeah, it's a very interesting crossover. Well, it is. And when you first told me about this being on the horizon, I was like, what? And then the idea that they actually did it with the animated series, the Star Trek animated series, it's like, wow, that that makes so much sense. But it is weird because the style, the visual style, is the animated series. But yeah, I mean the book itself. I mean they're not really. I don't. I don't feel like they're dumbing down the story or anything for 
a younger audience. It's not like you know they're acting like they did in the gold in the uh, Gold Key and in the animated series. They're they're acting like Kirk always acts in these IDW issues. Or at least I I, I felt that way. I didn't feel like uh, yeah, but the story itself is I think it is very much a Transformers story so far in the first three issues. And since there's only four, I think that's going to continue on to the conclusion. And I felt the other way. I felt like it was a Star Trek story where the Transformers just happened to guest star. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just... It's just doing what the Transformers apparently do. And, and by the way, I have never seen an episode of this. Uh, I am too old. I, uh, this came well after I was uh, not much into Saturday morning uh, cartoons anymore. But right. um, when Transformers came out. So, but this seems like what I would expect Transformers to be. You got the Autobots. You got the Decepticons. They're always fighting each other. You know, they're shooting blazers or whatever at each other. Uh, you know, they're hacking at each other, whatever they're doing, and no one's ever heard at the end, and all the robots don't seem to get much damage, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's what it seems like to me so far. But, you know, maybe, you know, that's just what it seems. Which, to me, seems very much a Autobot thing, or a Transformers thing. Um, now, yes, there are Klingons in here. There is a mining colony. You almost need that with Star Trek. And of course, you've got our heroes, um, but right, yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying, but uh, I mean, but Star Trek, aside from the occasional red shirt, there's not a lot of uh, collateral damage on Star Trek either. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, no matter what kind of pickle Asha? they're in, you know they're going to get out. Yar? Yeah, we're talking about original series. Plus, well, she was a one-off. <laughs> she was a one-off. Okay, but, yeah. Okay, well, uh, uh, granted, granted. But it seems to me like the main thrust of the uh, Transformer things is that, you know, they're always into physical conflict. Right. I mean, yeah, isn't that yeah. pretty much it? I mean, every episode? Yeah, pretty much. There's yeah. got to be a fight. Right. So there's no data's day, or, uh, but it's, it's a kid's show. What do you want? You want to sell toys. Exactly. It's a toy commercial. In the end. So anyway, so with that long preamble, shall we just get into the issue you itself? You ain't kidding. I, we, we, I think the synopsis is over. Let's just, <laughs> let's just call it a day. Sure. Okay. Four issues, right? Yeah. So As far as I know, yeah. We're doing the first three, and I get to do the first synopsis. The title of issue number one is Prime's Directive. It was published on September 2018. Writer is John Barber and Mike Johnson. Art by Philip Murphy. Colors by Priscilla Terramontano. Letterer is Krista Meissner. Edits by Chase Marotz and David Marriott. Publisher is Greg Goldstein. We've got three covers. Cover A features the heroes of the series, Kirk, Rx, Spock, McCoy, Sulu, The Enterprise, Optimus Prime, and two more Autobots, which at the time I did this, I didn't know who they were. But uh, apparently one is Bumblebee, and I'm not sure what the other one is. Some lady Autobot with a sword. Her name's Windblade. Windblade? Yeah. There you go. Perfect. There you go. And the cover's by Philip Murphy. 
Cover B features the villains of the story, including a D7 Klingon ship, Klingons, and three evil Decepticons. I assume Megatron's in there. Yeah, um, Megatron Megatron. and then Starscream, and I don't know who the other guy is. The little purple guy, I don't know who that is. Okay. He looks like he used a camera. <laughs> right. So I, I don't know what his name is. Okay, cool. Plus, I don't remember him in the, in the story either, so that's weird. Yeah. Uh, which is not the last time you're going to see somebody on the cover who's not in the story. At least I don't think in the story. And I'll mention that in a few minutes. Retailer incentive cover. Oh, actually, there's four. Four covers. Sorry. The retailer incentive cover, A, is an action shot of MRS in motion, moving away while shooting at a Decepticon big cat robot thing. And that cover is by Philip Murphy and perhaps Paulina Gunuccier. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's Philip Murphy, but when I read the uh, synopsis of the issue where I got the cover from, it also mentioned Paulina Ganucci, and I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but I'll throw her name out there. The retailer incentive cover B features Kirk and crew with Optimus Prime running forward to face danger. Uh, And the Enterprise is back there, too. Cover by Peter McKinstry and perhaps Derek Charm. Another situation where a second person's name was in there. Wasn't 100% clear if they did the cover or not. I'll put the name out there. The Enterprise arrives at Cygnus 7 to render aid to the inhabitants of the Federation mining facility located there. It being close to the Klingon border, Spock conducts a thorough scan that turns up no ships in the area, Klingon or otherwise. When scans of the planet turn up nothing due to purposeful interference, Kirk takes an away team down to investigate, with only senior officers and no red shirts with them other than MRS. What they find is an all-out attack in progress, going on against the mining installation by brightly colored 20th century Earth jets and helicopters, not Klingons. Kirk and company analyze the confusing situation and quickly identify their immediate need is to get the trapped miners out of the main building that is taking heavy damage from the apparent unmanned aircraft. An explosion opens up a hole in the mountainside and exposes a tunnel. Out of the tunnel emerges a 20th century semi-truck that Spock thinks is not reinforcements for the attacking aircraft. The planes take note of the new player in the festivities, but the apparent leader is unconcerned given their superior might. The truck comes around and takes weapons fire meant for Kirk and MRS, but for some unknown reason, Kirk shoots the truck and incapacitates it. Confused, MRS tells Kirk the truck just screamed in pain. The truck starts to transform into a huge robot. When it appears to be fully transformed, it says in a weak voice, The humans! The attacking aircraft break off their attack on the installation so they can concentrate fire on the huge robot they call Optimus Prime. The aircraft change into three robots, similar to the first, but with different paint jobs and parts attached to a roughly humanoid form. They are on the ground now in front of Kirk and apparently Optimus Prime. The leader orders Soundwave to bring them to their knees. 
The robot begins emitting sound waves that are very painful to the landing party, but it has the side effect of ending the communications jamming. Kirk can now contact the ship and orders Lieutenant Arax to fire photon torpedoes at the location of their three attacking robots. Kirk orders his team to take cover, which would be a good idea concerning how close they all are to the attacking robots. The massive destructive power of a photon torpedo knocks the three robots off their feet, but nothing more. The landing party sets their phasers to max and fires at the temporarily dazed robots. The three beat a hasty retreat while insulting each other. Soundwave says he detects a Decepticon signal coming from a nearby moon. The retreating robots head to the signal. Kirk calls down Scotty to see if he can repair the unresponsive red and blue robot that Kirk shot. He asks Scotty to bring Dr. McCoy too. Kirk asks Scotty and McCoy to examine the giant robot to find a way to help it and wake it up. After some quips about the doctor not being a mechanic, McCoy joins Scotty in the examination. The three evil robots find the source of the signal and call the ground plane looking robot Tripecon. They see more humans crawling around it and go down to investigate. It turns out to be the Klingons who introduce themselves at the point of loaded disruptors. The robot leader finds common ground with these tiny organic creatures who also hate the humans in the mining facility. He introduces himself as Megatron, the leader of the Decepticons. They trade information and form an alliance. Meanwhile on the planet, Scotty and McCoy figure out the robot's circuitry is as complex as the human mind, but they can't figure out yet how to wake it. Sulu briefs Kirk on his findings. His tricorder picked up ancient signals from beyond the deepest reaches of the close-by mineshaft. Something is down there, beyond a seemingly impenetrable wall of metal. Without warning or explanation, the metal wall explodes, and from the breach comes more robots. These robots say humans are the last things they want to see, and asks what they have done with Optimus Prime. To be continued. What have they done? Exactly. How'd they know they do, did anything? Exactly. I think I think he's very unfriendly. And now you find out later. I mean, this, these are supposed to be good guys, right? Right. You find out why they're a little not happy with humans later. But uh, yeah, they don't come off as very uh, friendly at first. Right. Although but Optimus you, Prime War sure was. Yeah, and you, the reader, though, know that Kirk did kill Optimus Prime, so <laughs> you know well, that uh, they him. have something to get mad about. He shot him. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. We, the reader, knows there's a good reason for them to be angry, but they don't know about that yet. Right. Right. So, um, speaking of that phaser fire, um, I did find it funny that one shot from Kirk killed or. Almost killed kill. Optimus Prime. It damaged him. But a, a photon torpedo from the <laughs> ship, plus all their phaser fire, did nothing to the Decepticons. Exactly. Which makes no sense to me. Makes no sense at all. Just, I guess Kirk is that good a shot. Well, he did say, one well-placed hit, and he broke Optimus Prime's uh, windshield. So, great. Right. Yeah. 
Bravo, Kirk. Try some of that fancy sharpshooting later in the issues, shall you? I bet he doesn't. I bet he doesn't. Also, that would make the uh, that would make the story end too quickly. I got a feeling that that might have been the only shot that does any damage. <laughs> exactly. So for the most part, you know, the humans can't do anything. So it's kind of like, um, well, it's kind of like the movie, the Transformers right. movie. Humans, in general, are just kind of like little ants hanging around. You're talking about the Michael Bay movie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Not the original Transformers, the movie where uh, they killed off like almost all the all the original Transformers. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, yeah. That's why it was. It did not go over very well. So, did they have uh, you know Transformers: The Next Generation or something they were trying to do or what? Well, basically, it was they were phasing out the first wave of toys, and they wanted to focus more on the second wave of toys. Ah. So the best way to do that is to kill them all off, and uh, it did not go over well. It, it uh, a lot of people complained, and then eventually they had to bring some of them back to life later in the show because it was kind of like how the next generation and well, the next generation ended, and then the movie came out. So it was right. more like X Files and the Batman '66 movie, where the movie happened during the summer, and it kind of like bridged the gap between season two and season three. Oh, um, so it was like season one and two, Optimus Prime, and everybody, all these guys for the most part were there, and then the movie happened, and most of them died, and then the third season, you know, had the new leader of the Autobots and stuff like that because uh, not everybody made it to the end of the movie because. It's a profit thing. Exactly. Ah. But it did not go over well. It's it's considered a, a misstep on Hasbro's part. <laughs> okay, so Hasbro. Okay. Now, I thought this was like some Japanese toys or something. So, or, or were these always Hasbro? No, they're originally um, a brand of toys called uh, Diaclone or something like that in, okay. in in Japan. Right. But they didn't have – they were just basically robots that changed into stuff Okay. or stuff that changed into robots. Right. It wasn't until Hasbro brought it over here that they kind of rebranded it and made some of them good guys and some of them bad guys. Mm-hmm. And they created the whole mythology of – Cybertron and right. and who who we all know. So then eventually when Transformers became big, then it kind of went back to Japan and then Transformers became big over in Japan again even though they were just uh, you know, reskinned or retooled um Diaclone figures. So huh. Okay. It's kind of cool how how it goes full circle. And what's funny is that uh the the original Diaclones were kind of based on GI Joe. So it's kind of funny how it all kind of like it goes from the original 12-inch GI Joe to to Diaclone, then back to Transformers, and then back to GI Joe. So it's, it's, it was weird how it, the the circle of toyness happened there in the eighties. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyways, um, but speaking of that, I was a little confused on the whole um, where this 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 story takes place um, in in Transformers lore um, uh-huh. because I'm not a hundred percent familiar with that. I, I do kind of know the 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 big event type things, but. At first, I thought this was supposed to be kind of like a, a continuation of the cartoon, and for the most part, it kind of feels that way. Mm-hmm. But a lot of uh, some of these characters I know never made it into the cartoon, like um, Windblade, and uh, there's another Decepticon uh, female named Arachnid or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were never part of the original toy line, and in fact, they're fairly new Transformers. So it kind of seems weird that 
the writer is kind of cherry picking, you know, mainly the the original cast of Transformers, but also kind of going back to the newer toys and and picking some of those. So it's kind of like how the Green Lantern crossover was, where it was kind of the DC universe and it was kind of the JJ universe, but not quite either one. So this one kind of feels the same way. It's it's kind of the animated series, and it's kind of Generation 1 uh, Transformers, but not really either one of those either. Okay. There you go. Which means they can do anything. They can kill off everybody, and it's not going to matter to either one of the uh, the real the real timelines. Right. Well, that's an interesting point. So I'm not, we'll bring it up more up later when we see some things, but they do do some things eventually in some of the issues to try to tie together – the Star Trek universe, together with Transformers universe. Because they haven't explained how these two worlds came together. Right. Yeah, in this this issue, the only thing they said was, hey, these look like 20th century Exactly. Exactly. So that's it. And so if the Transformers were on Earth at some point in the 20th century, eh, you know, there should be something in the databanks, historical databanks on the Enterprise talking about these guys. But there isn't. And well, if Archer's dealing with the Borg never made it to Picard, then what makes you think that Transformers before World War Three would make it to uh, Kirk? Mm-hmm. Granted. Granted. However, <laughs> like in most things, when you have crossovers, you have the challenge of, well, they never talked about each other before, so how are these two groups of heroes, whatever, coming together now. So right. that's always an issue, and some actually try to do something about that to explain that, and others don't. Um, I have not read the fourth issue, but I'm guessing they don't. Um, right. Well, I, thought, I think in the next issue, they kind of try to tie well, it, but it, it, you're right. Really. It doesn't really make sense if you think about it. No, it doesn't. But at least they try yeah, well, yeah. It's kind of like, hey, we'll mention this thing from Star Trek in the past, and we'll mention something from the Transformers so that you kind of get them tied together in the same universe, but not really. <laughs> right. Which, I liked it, so we'll talk yeah. about it in a minute. I don't want to give it away. No, no, I don't want to either. I got to bring this up, and I'm sure you can let me know, but I'm reading through the book. And I see on the seat of one of the Decepticon planes, I see what looks like one of my favorite childhood toys. It looks like a man from Uncle, P-38, Walter P-38, spy pistol transforming into a rifle right. thing. And I'm looking at that going, what the heck is that doing there? Um, and I started thinking about it. It's like, you know... Back in the Man from Uncle 1965 TV TV series, hopefully you guys know about it out there. It kind of did a transformer kind of thing. It had a really cool pistol, uh, which is just a German World War II era pistol, modified a little bit. Uh, that they would go ahead and just slap a few extra parts onto it, and it turns it into a rifle. So kind of like a transformer in a way. <laughs> and then I see it here on the seat of one of the uh, jets. And I'm like, are they are they just kind of slipping that in for the heck of it? Um, or is that like a real part of Transformers lore? I mean, right. is that a Transformer? So, yeah, so Megatron is a Walther P-38. 
So he is that gun that then transforms into the robot. Okay. Which the cartoon always had a hard time with. Why is it so small when he's a gun and then he transforms into a giant robot, right? Right. That's the same size as a semi-truck. And so in the cartoon, they kind of play around with it a little bit where he never transforms into the gun at human size. But he does at times transform into the gun so that like Starscream or somebody can hold him, which then still shrinks him quite a bit. Uh, But yeah, it never really makes – it doesn't really make sense why, uh, you know – a gun is the same size as a truck, nor is a boombox or a tape player or something the same size as as a semi truck either. So, okay, uh, there you have to kind of like uh, you know they obviously have not only perfected transforming but also size manipulation <laughs> and and go with it from there. Okay, sounds good. But yeah, so what what, what kind of gun did you think it was? Did you say a Walther P-38? Because if so, yeah, that was impressive. A, well, that, that's it. Yeah, it's a Walther P-38. Yeah, no, that's what it is. I, I would have not known what it was. Well, okay, so... Hats off to you, Ken. Well, no, but that's what they use in The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Right. That's So I was really just referring to The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Now, looking at... So there's a, a particular page where it's transforming. In For the first time, you see Megatron as a as a humanoid form. And sure, he's got the um, he's got the, the the scope, the sniper scope on his, on his right arm. So cool, I can see all that tied together. But looking at the pistol itself, that's not a World War II era P thirty eight. That's a later Walther. You can tell from the uh, from the shape of the slide. But I don't. I'm, I'm not going to get too picky. I'm going to stop talking about this. <laughs> but um, it's it, a toy. it is. Yeah. I know it's a toy. Uh, and they updated it apparently. So um, uh, anyway, I thought it was pretty cool. That's the first thing I said was, "Hey, man from Uncle." Didn't know whether this was part of its lore. Now you've confirmed it for me. Thank you, Doc. Right. Yeah. So Megatron was one of the first ones they kind of phased out because uh, they didn't like little kids running around with a somewhat realistic-looking handgun. <laughs> So he uh, he eventually became like a tank, so that you could still have the the big gun barrel on his arm, kind of thing. So oh, that okay. was still his look, but okay. uh, I guess it was it, it was a, a little frowned upon to have an actual gun shape, right? Okay. And then they later they brought in another guy that had a was a gun, but then he also got phased out pretty quick because they just did not want kids running around with these gun looking things. Yeah. Which is so funny because when I was a kid, you know, back at the 60s and 70s, it was like we play guns all the time. I mean, it, we play guns. It was a much more um, innocent age yeah. back then. Those cap guns that had the, the little rolled up. Rolled one, exactly. Yeah, I like those. That's what the man from Uncle uh, Toy Gun was. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I had one of those. Uh, actually, I had several of those because it was one of my favorite I would tend to trash toys when I was a young man, and uh, there were a few toys I had re- multiple times over the years, uh, the Sea View and uh, the Man from Uncle uh, pistol setup thingy. So That's cool. Yeah, I liked it. And uh, definitely the, the weak whole cap thing. It was cool because they actually had it built into the, into the um, clip. 
So you'd have the red ribbon paper almost? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, in a little uh, round thing. Uh, and, it, and it was – these are the worst caps in the world. Half of them never went off. But uh, it was pretty cool how they had it worked into the uh, clip. Right. Anyway, That's cool. Whatever. Moving along. Yeah, we could never get the our guns to actually do it. So once we gave up, we would just roll the clip out and then use a spoon to smack it <laughs> to make them pop. We didn't have kitchen utensils. We used rocks. <laughs> we just scrape it with a rock, and it would and it, would, it would pop them off. That's cool. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes not. <laughs> All right, so uh, back to this book. I like the art style. I think yeah. it, it works well. I do think that the arachnid and windblade they seem out of place because they're more detailed than the other ones Mm -hmm. but for the most part i think the mashup of animated series and 80s cartoon series uh i think it does a pretty good job yeah i think so too and even though the the art style is in line with those tv shows which had a budget (laughs) and they didn't spend the biggest amount of money in the world on them uh, I think they did a very nice job doing them. I especially like some of the explosions, like when the photon torpedo hits, and you yeah, get the kaboom. That's a really cool looking explosion and everything. So, and I also think they did an excellent job. There's a nice close up drawing of Spock's tricorder, and I think that really looks good. Um, yeah, little beep, look. beep beeps around it. <laughs> It's when they're trying to figure out oh, yeah, I see it, I see it, about yeah. Megatron. Yeah. Or not Megatron, uh, Optimus, Optimus Prime. Prime. Yeah. So that's a nice, nice close-up. Um, it's good. Good stuff. I, I think that the best character to go from the animated series to this issue is Mares. She looks fantastic in all all the shots that, that she is. She, her The coloring is nice and even, and mm-hmm. they, they do a really good job of uh, – giving her expressions and stuff like right. when she's surprised or angry or whatever. It's just right. like, man, I don't ever remember her looking that good in the cartoon. Right. Yeah. She, I, I agree with you. She does look good. Uh, what, what is her function by the way? On the ship? Yeah. She's communication officer. Ah, okay. Okay. Now is she replaced her? I mean, her uh, was she, in the, in they, in they trade. Okay. So they trade off doing communications. Right. Okay. Right. And they were actually voiced by the same woman. Ah, okay. Only when it's uh, M-Rest, there would be more purring going on in the middle of her speech. Right. I think Nichelle Nichols was, uh, you know, channeling Eartha Kid or something when she was doing Mares, but uh, <laughs> I never realized they were, it was her until recently. I think when it came out on DVD, that's when I that's when I like in one of the special features they said uh-huh. it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Well, in the original plans of the animated series, they weren't going to use um, Sulu or Chekhov or uh, Nichelle Nichols. Um, right. They weren't going to use the actors, the original actors. They were pretty much going with uh, Nimoy and uh, Shatner and, and maybe Scotty. I'm not sure about Scotty. But I guess that was just to save money or something. Right. Well, Scotty was there was was the most cost efficient one because he did a lot of the alien voices on mm. that show. Hmm. He was like their go to guy for all the voices. Oh, good. Okay. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, all of them made the all of them made the cut eventually, except for Chekhov. Poor Chekhov didn't uh, didn't get to reprise his role on right. the animated series. He was off serving on the uh, Reliant, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, part of the reason, uh, at least, uh, uh, George and Nichelle got back on is because uh, Leonard Nimoy made a big stink about it. Right, that's what I heard. Right. Yep. Good for him. So, um, as far as this book goes, I really like. There's a there's one page when Kirk is talking to Spock and Scotty through the tricorder okay. or not, through the communications thing, um, and it's really cool because it's like three panels, but they're kind of all different shaped. It's not traditional panel, but then there's a fourth panel that's kind of superimposed over the three in the shape of a, a Starfleet swoosh, which is the where Kirk is. Right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I thought that was a neat little breakup of the normal. Right. Because IDW often does the whole four-panel thing mm-hmm. where it's like to make it look like letterbox type, uh, like a TV screen type thing. Right. So I thought that was kind of a cool breakup of the panel size. Agreed. Not the same old grid. Right. Yeah, and the swoosh was particularly uh, clever. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Kudos to the to the writer or the artist on this one, mm-hmm. Philip Murphy. All right, what else you got on this one? Because uh, I'm, I'm pretty much done with this. Issue. I got nothing. All right, let's move on to issue two. Great. Issue two came out October 2018. The writing and art staff is all the same. There's three covers for this one. The first one is by Philip Murphy, and it shows Megatron and Optimus Prime kind of fist fighting, and maybe Megatron's holding a lightsaber, and then you see Kirk kind of beaming in right in between them. The second cover is by Marcella Ferreira, and it shows Spock kind of doing this three-fingered, like, uh, looks like he's, he has his thumb and his uh, index and middle finger out, and the other other ones are kind of down, uh, and he's kind of like, pointing this uh, three-fingered gesture at you, the reader. And then to the right, we see Megatron and uh, Optimus Prime fighting it out, and then we see uh, Cybertron behind it on fire. And then the third cover is by Derek Charm, and it shows Optimus Prime on kneeling down, doing the Vulcan greeting to Spock, who's standing on the ground looking up. And then you see Arik standing there with his phaser, or I guess that's a tricorder in his third arm. And then in the... In the um, foreground, we see a profile of Kirk kind of smiling, looking a little bit like an Archie, which is uh, what Ken always talks about. The story starts immediately where uh, issue one ended. Uh, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty are trying to figure out how to get Optimus Prime back online. Uh, They know that he tried to save the humans uh, after Kirk shot him. uh, But aside from that, they're still clueless as to how to wake him or where he came from or anything else like that. Spock then performs a mind meld with the robot, and we get a full page learning a little bit about the exodus from Cybertron, their exile on Earth, and the constant, never-ending battle with the evil Megatron. This seems to do the trick, and Optimus Prime is reawakened. He is then informed that the Decepticons have escaped, and yet Optimus Prime says that they are not alone, implying that he still has friends. So, speaking of those friends, we go back to the cave where we find Kirk, Sulu, and Mares 
standing in front of the very angry Autobots, including Bumblebee, Jazz, Ratchet, RC, and Windblade. The robots are confused since they recently woke up, and when they woke up, Optimus wasn't there, so they just assume that these humans have something to do with it. They quickly capture the humans and Mares, but Kirk is able to do some quick talking, and he explains that uh, he just recently spoke to Optimus, and they are on the same side. This seems to convince all the other Autobots that the path to peace is to work together and to try to stop a possible alliance between the Klingons and Decepticons. Meanwhile, at the Decepticon base, the Klingon leader named Commander Curry tells Megatron that they just happened to find the base uh, when they were trying to escape the Enterprise. The Klingons propose an alliance, but Megatron sees no value in teaming up with these small, insignificant bugs. However, the proposal of something called cloaking technology sweetens the pot. Meanwhile, back in the cave, Bumblebee tells the story of how the Transformers were on Earth. And this seems to fall in line similar to how the Generation 1 TV series went. But then he says that they departed Earth during the Eugenics War and World War III. And it seems like they departed the planet just as Zephyrin Cochran was working on his warp drive technology. The ship that they left on was called Fortress Maximus. And they said they traveled in space for decades until eventually the Decepticon starship called Trypticon caught up with them. Trypticon is a dinosaur-shaped robot. The two ships battled it out in space, and then both of them crashed on Cygnus 7. All parties involved stayed in hibernation until eventually a Vulcan woman and an Andorian man woke the Decepticons up and Optimus Prime. Optimus left his sleeping Autobot friends in order to help the miners, uh, which was at the beginning of last issue. Meanwhile, back at the Enterprise, which is now being commanded by Oryx, he has followed the attacking Decepticons to a nearby crater. But where he assumed you would find the Decepticon ship, it is now empty. Suddenly, a Klingon D7 decloaks and starts to attack the Enterprise. Also, some Decepticons come out of nowhere and join the fight against the Enterprise. And the Enterprise seems to be in a very, very low orbit. It's right on top of this crater. So meanwhile, Optimus Prime is back in his truck form and giving Scotty, McCoy, and Spock a ride back to the cave where the other Autobots are being held. Before they can arrive to the cave entrance, Starscream, Arachnid, and Thundercracker show up and they blast the mountain face, causing an avalanche and sealing the cave up for good. Inside the cave, Ratchet seems to have a radical idea that will even the odds and get them out of this cave. Kirk says he's listening. To be continued. Kirk has a little devilish look in his eye when Ratchet says there's some risks involved, and Kirk is up for it, huh? Kirk has never shied away from risk before. No. No, and he's, he's going to go for it. And we get to find out exactly how much risk is involved in the next issue. Which, right. uh, Ratchet does have some pretty pretty interesting things in mind. Yes, and it's fantastic. Well, I, I do like the end of the next issue. So we'll talk about that next issue, but... Right. Uh, being a toy collector, I wish I had some of those toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so back to this issue... Are they still on the planet when the Enterprise shows up to that big crater, or are they in an asteroid 
somewhere out, off planet because it seems like the Enterprise is like right on the surface of this planet. I I don't know. Yeah, I got the feeling they were still on the same planet, but maybe they maybe they traveled to a nearby asteroid. I don't know. Well, okay. The Decepticons all went to a, a nearby moon. Okay, so then that's, that's that. and that's okay. where they met uh, the Klingons. Okay, so they did travel off the planet. Yes. Which is funny because I've never remembered the Transformers being able to just fly up to the to the moon on their own volition before. They... Well, yeah, I mean they're jets and stuff, so how could they do that? But no problem here. But apparently they do have special big Titan Transformers that are able to travel between stars. Yeah, of course. Okay, there you go. Uh, of course, there you go. <laughs> and one of them happens to be the shape of a, a T-Rex. No problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was also one that I actually had. It was like my prized possession when I was uh-huh. a kid. And it was actually one of those fortress ones. And it was like this giant motorized train. And it had a train track and everything. And it would like, you know, it was it was monstrous. But then it would transform into this giant robot where the, the track that was was what the train was on would then become like these big wing things and uh and then he would still kind of move due to the locomotive uh, or the little wind-up functionality that was inside of him hmm. I, I, don't, I don't i it was battery operated it wasn't wind up but still it was this monstrous figure that was you know much bigger than any of the other autobots or right or, but but still even to scale he was still quite a bit smaller than what he was supposed to be which is a fortress where they would actually go inside right so i'm assuming that they had a fortress maximus in this triclonus or whatever his thing was i'm sh- i'm right. assuming that at some point there was a toy of that uh, after i was out of it but yeah yeah you can have transforming ships for your transforming ships <laughs> exactly <laughs> and of course as it's blasting away from earth with some very interesting people beneath them in the foreground what does the fortress look like? It looks like a flying robot. It looks like a Y-wing fighter from Star Wars. Uh, does it? Big time. Oh yeah, yeah, I guess so. Huh. So when I first saw, it, I was like, "Oh wow, that's a Y-wing fighter." Okay. Now looking at it from the front and the next page, it doesn't look as much like that. But from that shot, the first time we see it flying, it looks like a Y-wing. To be honest, when I was looking at the next page uh, at it, I thought it was flying kind of like Superman. Like those, I guess, the nacelle type things where his arms outstretched and then his legs were the red and blue things. But now but you're right on the, the picture that actually has Zephyrin Cochran in it. Uh, it's right. actually reversed. Exactly. OK, so let's talk about that. So we've got Zephyrin Cochran and I don't remember the name of the lady. Oh, uh, yeah, Alfred Woodward Alfred, or whatever. That's right, yeah. Alfie Woodward. I don't, I don't remember her, her character's the name. The character name, but she's there, and it almost looks like Jonathan Archer's on the right, but it isn't still. It looks a little bit like him, though. Um, <laughs> but I thought that was, that was an interesting way of attempting to give a connection point between the two worlds. Uh, right. But really, they didn't explain it, or how I think having transforming robots would make it into the history books somewhere. Well, maybe after World War Three, you know, the planet was so nuked and stuff that uh, the records of a pre-war era is a little spotty. No? I don't think so. So you don't think the records uh, from before the war might, got, might have gotten lost? Uh, some. I just don't think as, as big a loss as you're describing. 
maybe nobody knew they were there. They do transform into everyday vehicles. Uh, that are brightly colored and uh, shoot weapons out at other <laughs> trucks that are brightly right. colored. Yeah. Anyway. Now, I, can't, I can't remember how widespread the knowledge of the Transformers were in the right. old cartoon. I know that there was like a few humans that knew about it, but for the most part, I think they always fought in the desert where nobody saw anything. Oh, okay. I guess that would make more sense. So the outfits that the warring humans have on, so uh, almost like a Borg-like um, laser gun on the uh, soldier's uh, right arm that they're showing, that looks familiar somehow. Is that like from something that we would have I, seen? Yeah, I don't know. It did look familiar. I didn't quite know where it came from. Like, I assumed it was some random episode. Well, you know, like maybe some stock footage or something they were showing in Enterprise or something of the um, of that war period. Oh, like in the in their fake opening of uh, uh, I don't know, maybe. fake opening for the for Enterprise episode. Maybe, maybe. Mm. It just it just kind of looks a little familiar. Right. No, it did. Yeah. With the the bulky, bulky. It looks like a bulky jacket within a, a machine gun attached to your hand. Right. Right. Yeah. A machine gun or a laser gun or something. Not a phaser. Probably. Right. Right. Yeah. This is World War Three, after all. Anyway, right. It looks. It looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so. So uh, yeah. So. But uh, but yeah, after we nuke ourselves, then that and the Transformers give up on us and take off. Right. Okay. But yeah, I did like I did like how they had uh, Zephyr and Cochran there. I thought that was pretty cool. Right. And it was interesting that they had um, Bumblebee tell the history. Yeah, he was always kind of the the one that was most friendly with the humans. Right. I think even in the Michael Bay movies, he's kind of the same same yeah. role, even though he can't talk for some reason. Right. Oh, or he just makes noise like like R two D two or something. Uh, doesn't he always play the play the radio to kind of like switch the stations to say what he wanted to say or something like that? Uh, something like that. Yeah. So, in preparation for the Bumblebee movie that's coming out right now, that my uh-huh. daughter wants to see, but I haven't really watched any of the Michael Bay issues or. Uh-huh. Uh, at movies. You haven't? I, Wait a minute. I Why? saw the first one. I've only seen the first one. Okay. But anyway, so I IDW has a whole bunch of Transformers comic books. And if you're a member of Comixology, you can read a whole bunch of them for free. So I read a bunch of the the movie era comic book series. Mm-hmm. And in one of them, it was a prequel to the movie where Megatron destroys Bumblebee's voice box. And that's why when he gets to Earth, he can't do anything except change the radio station. Oh. So I kind of – I haven't seen the new movie yet, so I'm kind of curious if, if they keep that same continuity in the new movie or if they're going to explain it a different way. Or if it's I don't know. a reboot or what. Yeah. Anyways, but uh, yeah, normally Bumblebee could always talk. It was only the recent movies where he suddenly can't. Hmm. Okay. Anyways, sorry. And, and he's, a, he's still a sports car but not a Camaro? No, he's a Volkswagen Bug. Oh, he's the Bug? Yeah. Oh my god, how embarrassing. Okay. How awesome. He was always the best toy. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be um, Bumblebee. Bumblebee? Okay. Well, okay, so we'll see in the next uh, issue. <laughs> I did like how in the first issue, Optimus Prime was giving everybody a ride. I thought that was hilarious. 
with with Kirk Spock or with Spock uh, McCoy and Scotty kind of in the cab right while he was driving around I, I thought that was pretty funny yeah and then when he transforms back into his robot form how they have a little throwaway thing where you see the figures like jumping out for dear life <laughs> like oh my god he's changing let's get out of here it's not like the Michael Bay movie where he suddenly all all these gears and stuff pop out of nowhere and they're just there's no way you could be inside that cab. Right. <laughs> well. Yeah. The old school Transformers still look like their vehicles when they were transformed. Yeah. Well, because they I, had to actually be – they actually had to be that. I mean, it's right, a physical right. toy. But that, that was one of the things that kind of turned me off of the original movie. I was just like, eh, they don't even look like trucks. They just look like this mess of CG gears that are just kind of always moving and mm-hmm. kind of an eyesore. Yeah. That's why I, I never watched anything after the first one. Uh, well, my family liked it, the first one, yeah. and I thought it was okay. It's okay. But they were really into it. Okay, so Captain Curry, that's kind of an odd name for a Klingon, don't you think? It starts with a K, so therefore it's a Klingon name. Exactly. But still, Curry? <laughs> I don't know. Seems I kind of wondered if Curry was – if he was supposed to – maybe he was in an episode – because he definitely acts like he's he's uh, fought Kirk before. Exactly, he does. It's just that quite, I mean, Captain Curry, that doesn't really strike fear into my heart. Nah, it makes me kind of hungry. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Little coconut curry, yeah. Ratchet is the equivalent of Scotty in Transformers for the Autobots? Uh, no, he's more the, he's more of... McCoy. He's he's oh. an ambulance, so he's also the medic. Oh, but I guess the since medic. they're since they're robots, then he's also a scientist too. Oh boy! But and, uh, and an engineer. Yeah, well, you would if if all your patients were robots, then you oh, would probably so. need to be an engineer. So he's really Scotty and McCoy. Kind of mixed. Ratchet, you're handy. Yeah, but they, there was another guy that was kind of their uh, mad scientist type character, and I don't, I don't remember who he was. Hmm. Uh, but he's not in this issue. Okay. But he would always be the one that was like, "Hey, I invented this thing that, or I invented a whole new species of uh, robots," and they he he invented like the Decepticons and stuff, or not Decepticons, um, Dinobots and things like that. Oh. He was the mad scientist, where Ratchet was more of the the medic type character. Okay. Well, he's going to do some good things. Yeah, he does some. Yeah, he does, he uh, he definitely does some mad scientist stuff in the next issue. Yes, he does. Um, so I still don't think that uh, the cloaking technology would be enough for Megatron to really team up with the the Klingons. <laughs> he would just take it from them and then kill them. <laughs> so what he he's that be. much of a bad guy? Yeah. Yeah. Would you would you team up with an ant just because the ant says, "Hey, I can make you invisible"? No, uh, you would just probably take, not. You would just learn what he was going to tell you and then squish it, <laughs> like like the buggy is. Exactly. Plus, we already know that disruptors and phaser fires and torpedoes don't really damage them. The the transformers, that is. Right. Yeah. Well, that was kind of ridiculous, but whatever. When you right. think a photon torpedo would cause some lingering damage, if not totally obliterate anything close by, including Kirk and the landing party. Right. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, that was my complaint on that last issue yeah. too. It was just like, you're too close to it. Exactly. Yeah, you could say run for cover all you want, but. <laughs> all right. So what else you got for this issue? Um, I, I do like the shot where they've got the two Decepticons that are on top of the forward primary hull of the D7, the Klingon ship. I kind of right. like that because we've seen people on top of the Enterprise's primary saucer section, like in Star Trek the movie, and then again in First Contact with the Enterprise-E. But I think this is the first time I've ever seen any anybody on top of a the outside of a Klingon ship. Right. I think so, Pretty too. Pretty cool looking. I do wonder why the D7 is running away from the Enterprise. So it looks like the Decepticons and the D7 are coming towards me, the reader. Right. And then in the background, we can see the Enterprise being shot at. So I'm wondering what's making it explode. I don't know. Good but question. But yeah, I agree. Looks cool. Right. So basically, the attack towards the end of the second issue is the last time we see the Enterprise for a while. The real Enterprise. There's only one Enterprise, Ken. Okay. Remember you said that in the next issue. It's getting attacked, maybe destroyed. We don't know. Probably not destroyed. I think we know that. However. This is an alternate universe, so anything could happen. Okay. Well. Oh, I finally saw that picture of the the guys jumping out that I did not notice before. That's hilarious. Oh, okay. When they're jumping out of Optimus Prime. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's it, but that's here in the second issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's hilarious. I never noticed. <laughs> they got to get out somehow. I know it's a toy and everything, but the big spaceship is this in the shape of a T-Rex? Okay. Yeah, in this issue or is it the next issue where they kind of mention how stupid that is? Like, like ah. someone says, uh, it doesn't make sense, but I'm being attacked by a dinosaur. <laughs> it's Spock who mentions it. Yeah, so that's the next issue, right? Yeah, it's a, that's the next yeah. issue. Yeah. So this uh, Vulcan woman and the Andorian man, do you think they're evil or they just happen to stumble across it? Because for whatever reason, they've drawn the Andorian to look kind of like he's doing it on purpose. Like he woke up the Decepticons on purpose. Like oh, I thought they like were Like just... he's evil. I thought they were just, you know, just miners. Well, in in the context of the story, yes. But then, for whatever reason, they've really drawn him looking like he has a an, an ulterior, ulterior motive. motive. So I was wondering if you picked up on that too. Eh, not so much. I mean, okay. did they show him more than that one page? Well, he was in the first issue too, but and he always kind of looked looked shifty, evil. a little yeah. shifty eyed. There you go. Right. Okay. Right. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, quite frankly, the miners, for the most part, they're just they're just rag dolls. They don't do much. They're just they're the ones you got to protect. Oh my God! They let the heroes be heroic. Right. They're they're the stakes. Exactly. All right. That's my last issue or my last comment for issue two. Yep. I have nothing more to say on this one. All right, cool. So, number three. I couldn't find any title for this one. It was published November 2018. And by the way, sorry for my voice. It's um, I have a little cold going. Writers, John Barber and Mike Johnson. Art by Philip Murphy. Colors by Leonardo Ito and Josh Burcham. Letterer, Krista Meisner. 
and it's by Chase Marotz and David Marriott. Publisher Greg Goldstein. Okay, so this time we got three covers. Cover A features Kirk Ohura. Yes, I said Ohura. She's been out a couple times. A couple covers. Spock and RX on some computer-generated landscape with grid line showing that they're facing off against three Autobots. The cover is by Philip Murphy. Cover B features Kirk moving forward with a serious look on his face and phaser drawn, apparently oblivious to the fact that a gigantic robot is directly above him, ready to open fire with an arm cannon. Spock and Uhura are trying to warn their captain, but he appears to be too occupied with how awesome he is to hear their warning. Covers by Gavin Fullerton. The retailer incentive cover A features the ladies of the story, Uhura, Emress, Nurse Chapel, and two female Transformers. Cover by Jack Lawrence. Girl power. With Kirk and part of his landing party underground with the rest of the Autobots, the Decepticons are above ground, again attacking the mining installation. Spock and his team attempt to fend them off with hand phasers with no success. Though still injured, Optimus Prime takes additional damage, protecting miners that are running like chickens uh, with bullseyes pasted on their backs. Meanwhile, underground, Ratchet is putting his plan into motion with Kirk's aid. Kirk is standing in a box, roughly the size of a blue police call box, with cables running in and out of it. When Ratchet turns it on, he learns from Kirk's mind all he needs to know about how the Enterprise works. Now he can get to work. Meanwhile, above ground, the good guys are all huddled together with the Decepticons closing in. End game. Optimus Prime tells Spock and McCoy he will distract the Decepticons while they escape with the miners, but Spock says no to that plan. Instead, Spock walks out and surrenders. The Klingon captain beams down to witness victory. Optimus Prime steps out to stand next to the Vulcan and asks the Decepticons to let the humans leave. The lead Decepticon that Megatron put in charge of the attack asks Optimus Prime, why would we ever do that? Just when it looks like the surrender will turn into a bloodbath, the rumbling, a rumbling comes from under the surface, and, 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 Krakathoom! What appears to be the Enterprise with an Autobot symbol above Saucer Section's registry number breaks through the ground, with forward phasers blasting a path for it. Following the Enterprise through the newly formed hole in the ground is a cool-looking black and red jet, a Porsche 911-looking sports car, and a somewhat less impressive-looking yellow Volkswagen Bug with MRS behind the wheel. We see Sulu is in the cockpit of the jet named Windblade. As they speed to engage the Decepticons, the Klingon D-7 ship begins to move funny. The nacelles begin to move in unnatural ways. It's a Transformer 2, and it turns into the Titan known as Tropticon. Tripticon. Tripticon, sure. 
The huge T-Rex-shaped Decepticon breathes what looks at first like fire, but on closer examination, it's uh, kind of pink-colored and appears to be more like smoke or maybe cotton candy. Whatever, it blows the Porsche and the bug off the ground into the air. Spock and Scotty get the humans away from the melee, but the Klingon captain and the Decepticon Starscream tells them to stay where they are. Meanwhile, on the bridge of the Transformer version of the Enterprise, that is actually a reprogrammed Fortress Maximus, Kirk is wearing a Professor X contraption on his head that is tied into the Titan. It allows Kirk to control the ship with his mind. Kirk is having a difficult time controlling the ship in this unfamiliar way, but Ratchet coaches him and tells him to think like a Cybertronian. Kirk is able to fire phasers at the T-Rex, which inflicts some damage. The fight goes on and on and on and back and forth. At one point, the Klingon and Decepticons corner Scotty, Spock, and a bunch of miners with one Autobot attempting to protect them. They look like goners until a familiar twinkling effect starts all around them. Kirk beamed them aboard the Transformer Enterprise into a much taller than normal transporter chamber because they got to accommodate the uh, Transformer, the Autobot. With the miners and many of the landing party safe aboard, Kirk begins to push, straining his mind to the max. The strange Enterprise begins to change, to transform. No one can believe what they are witnessing as the transformation is complete, and before them is a huge transformer with nacelles sticking out of its back, kind of like out of its shoulder blades. Its fists are raised in a boxer's pose, in defiance. Kirk's voice comes out of the Titan, saying, He is Fortress Tiberius. To be continued. You know, when I read this, I did not catch that that was supposed to be Fortress Maximus transformed into the Enterprise. Well, I just thought they built a new ship. Right. Um, at first, I didn't get that either. But then, as I was reading it and stuff, well, that's what it has to be. I mean, it's... It, it makes more sense than just right. having all the raw material to make it a new Enterprise. Right. And when they had Kirk in that box and stuff, it's like... And, you know, they were reading his mind, whatever. And they were... You know, they, they had all these controls. And they had they had stuff they were using. I mean, right. it looked almost like a secret layer or something. And it's like, right. well, where, where, where are they? Oh, right. oh, they're in the spaceship. Okay. Gotcha. The Transformers. No, it totally makes sense. And the dinosaur can turn into a D7, then why can't Fortress Maximus become the Enterprise? Exactly. Exactly. Same thing. Same idea. So I really wish they would make this Fortress Fortress Tiberius figure. (laughs) I bet somebody will. I mean, look at that thing. It is so awesome. I mean, if if they really could get it to turn into both. Right. You know, the toy to turn into both and it look, not looking really schlocky. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next issue to see him in more than just this one pose because I was really trying to figure out how the saucer section turned into those arms and, and how the engineering section turned into two pretty beefy-looking legs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he looks like uh, Popeye with the, with the legs. <laughs> with those giant calves. Right. 
Right. Um, but it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, and even the face looks a little, little Kirkian. Right. Of right. The robot. Just a little. Yeah. No, I, I loved it. That 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 last page made the whole series for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And quite frankly, I mean, I don't know if you can tell from my synopses, but there are some things going on I find a little hard to, hard to swallow. But um, I kind of I, – I just went with it on this. That's great. Right. Yeah, you just got to go with it. Oh, yeah. It's good. I do like when they say something about uh, Kirk controlling the Enterprise by himself and uh-huh. Scotty says, ah, oh, you can't do it with one person. Oh, right, maybe, right. Maybe five or four. Oh, yeah, and <laughs> doesn't somebody else say – well, you'd need like thirty people to run a starship, at least. Right, that's what Spock says. Or, or Spock Scotty says, says "Ah, with some modifications, I could probably do it with five or four. <laughs> exactly. A little nod to Star Trek Three. Exactly, exactly. Cool. I wonder why they did that because I really, I never really liked that 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 he was able to have a fully functional Enterprise with just the four or five people. Yeah. Well. Um. I guess if you're not doing maintenance <laughs> and stuff like that, maybe that would work. Uh, just uh, or shooting photon torpedoes because, as we know, with Star Trek uh, what six, you have to throw them all into that tube. You have to manually load them. Right, right, uh, right. So you're going to need a lot of people for that. Yeah. Quite frankly, I could see spaceships. I mean, look, we sent our spaceships are simple, but you know, we send probes out all the time, and we get those little robots run around on Mars all by themselves, you know, for years. Yeah, I would think by the 23rd century we could get some pretty uh, pretty good automation going too. But that's not the point of Star Trek. The uh, point of Star Trek is that people are on the forefront. Exactly. I wouldn't have it any other way. Except when you need to send a, you know, a remote probe someplace. Sure, yeah, you don't want to send somebody into a, a black hole. That would be kind of cruel. Yeah, right. Okay, love the Fortress Tiberius. I'm glad they used Tiberius mm-hmm. because it is – I mean everything is kind of like uh, Roman, right? I mean Optimus Prime. I mean right. there is a lot of things that kind of sound like they might be a little Latin-tinged. Uh, right. So, well, even uh, the the Fortress Maximus. I mean, it's like there you go. they, they exactly. knew what they were doing when they were naming these things. Right. <laughs> and so slipping Tiberius in there, that was good. I like that. Yeah, it was really good. I don't understand why uh, some of the Autobots can't help him. Why does Kirk have to be the only one hooked up to this machine? Because he's Kirk. Oh, that's right. Only he knows the Enterprise that well. Ah, exactly. Which, quite frankly, no... You know, you really, you really should have Scotty in that spot, but whatever. To even have, I mean, it's so perfect to the Enterprise that it has transporter bays and functional transporters and things like that. Oh yeah, and it's uh, pretty amazing. And phasers, and uh, yeah, that's right. Shields, does that have shields? Did they show shields? I don't think so, um, but I'm, it probably does. Oh, and you know, turning it into something that looks like the Enterprise, okay, that's fine. But I agree with the point I think you're making, which is it's really functional. Right. But it's not only the size of the Enterprise. It's bigger than the Enterprise because it, everything has to be as big as a Transformer. So human to Transformer scale. So that means that it has to be that much bigger than the real Enterprise. 
Is it that much bigger? It has to be. If if RC can stand in the middle of the transporter bay and walk around, and oh, so can Jazz, oh. that means that everything <laughs> has to be that much bigger. That's a good point. Oh, that's a great point. That is the biggest, tallest uh, transporter chamber I've ever seen. Right. So yeah, everything is that size. Even the bridge is that big. So okay, that means I, I understand that what you're saying. The whole ship is what four or five times bigger than it normally is. Right. Good point. Good point. So, anyways, that's a nitpick. Yeah. And I got to say, in a fight, what the heck is a little Porsche 911 and a, uh, and a bug going to help you? I mean, if your oh. jet's around, that's one thing. That's just to speed around. That's just to get away. They don't uh, really fight too much when they're in their car form. No, because uh, definitely on the last page, cool first page, you got the Tiberius robot. But then you got the jets still flying around. And it's like one Autobot versus three Decepticon jets. Is that what it is? Right. Okay. And then you've got these two useless cars on the ground. Well, I'm assuming they're just going to dump those people off somewhere, and then they're going to transform into their uh, robot form. Uh, okay, okay. Anyway, um, yeah. Definitely the, the bad guys seem to have uh, cooler uh, Autobots, except for Tiberius. Right. Yeah, when I was a kid, I always liked the uh, the Decepticons better because they were the ships and the – I mean, the tape player sounds really stupid, you know, sound wave. But right. uh, he was always one of my favorites just because in the cartoon, he, he had this cool voice. <laughs> and and you could open up his tape deck place and then the uh, cassettes were the, 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 the dragon – or not the dragon, the wolf-looking thing or a bird-looking thing. So he's like a transformer that other transformers came out of. Man, he was cool. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> I never liked Megatron too much because he couldn't stand up when he was – because he was – I think there was like metal parts in him and he was very uh, wobbly as a, as a robot. Oh, okay. Very hard play mechanic when you're ah, a kid. And uh, as a kid, that's important. Right. Yeah, it is weird that in this comic, RC never transforms because uh, she was introduced in the movie and – I don't think she ever had a uh, a human robot or a human vehicle type thing to transform into. Oh, which but, one's RC? Uh, she's the pink one, the girl. Okay, the the pink female yeah. one. Okay, right. So she was introduced in the movie, and and by the time the movie came out, I was kind of done with Transformers. I'd I'd moved on to other stuff. Right. But I know that I don't know if of any transforming mechanic she has so it's kind of weird that the comic book never has her transform hmm. i was i was when when we started reading the book and she showed up i was like oh cool i've always wondered what she transformed into and so far nothing well who knows maybe the fourth issue right maybe little non-canon transforming going on well like i said she might i'm, I'm assuming she does i just i don't know what it is right okay uh, let's see what else. Uh, I do like seeing Marest inside Bumblebee. That w- those are cute pictures where she's just holding on. Right. I don't know why she doesn't have a seatbelt. Oh my gosh. Because that's because seatbelts aren't cool. <laughs> so that's a good point. Why is uh was it Jazz the the Porsche? Why is he not in his robot form? Because he doesn't have anybody inside of him, does he? I, not that I know of. Yeah, he shouldn't because. Because so, Kirk's in Enterprise. Well, yeah, so how many people went underground? So Sulu, definitely. Kirk, definitely. Emrest, definitely. And that's yeah, it? Yeah, that was it. That was it, yeah. Okay, okay. 
So yeah, there's no no reason why he's not fighting with in his robot form. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, once once they got out of the ground, you're punching holes in my great in this great story, Ken. What What do you mean? What kind of I, hole? I didn't I didn't see all these plot holes until you started pointing it out oh about how it doesn't make sense, and I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> I guess it doesn't. Well, that, you just got to go with it. Right. I, I just think the storyline is very Transformers oriented. It's a very Saturday morning cartoon, which which yes. fits in with which fits the, for both. Yeah, it's for both. There you go. Um, I did like when he was getting his mind read. It kind of had a a little nod to him being a little boy running through the cornfield. I thought that was cool, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. So it was reading. Okay, so he was reading Kirk's mind. I didn't bother mentioning in this synopsis, but. He was not only getting information about the Enterprise, but he was also getting an awful lot of information, or at least Kirk was thinking about it, about his own life. And it's like, I can just see Ratchet like going, I, I don't care about you and Iowa. I want to know about the Enterprise. Stop with this other garbage. Or him as, a, as an ensign or whatever there, there you go. in Starfleet Academy. Exactly. There you go. But it looks like it was pushing information to him too, because it was showing him pictures of Cybertron yeah. and um, and Optimus Find and oh, Optimus Prime and Megatron fighting. So maybe they were giving him information and taking information for, away from him so that they could then create Fortress Tiberius. I don't know. <laughs> well, they, they were definitely changing, uh, exchanging information. So it was a cool splash page. I liked it. Yeah, it was. All right, what else you got for this issue? Because I'm kind of running out of comments. Yeah. Um, I did have one more, if you don't mind. Oh, please, go ahead. Sorry, don't mean to cut you off. Um, I liked how when it showed the Klingons in space, that instead of them wearing bulky huh. uh, uniforms, they were just had the glow of a uh, personal force exactly, field exactly. from the animated series. <laughs> exactly. Right. So to save money, apparently, and I think we talked about this before, they had just a little outline drawn around uh, people, and that was supposed to be some force field or something that's able to create oxygen or something and keep you warm. So right. that's what you had instead of a spacesuit. And yep. yes, I agree. I, I like seeing that the uh, Klingons are using the same stuff because they were, well, at least the first time I saw them, is they were on that moon. Uh, they didn't still have that down on the planet, right? No, it showed him being beamed down, and he kind of had that aura, and it made me remember it. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's a gold aura. And at first, I was wondering what was going on, because it does look like he's back on the moon again. But you do see the little... you know. So I guess it's supposed to be transporter sounds. Right, or, right. So, long story short, Kirk's phaser was the only one that's done damage in this whole issue. Even the Enterprise Transformer, it's shooting things and doesn't really seem to matter. Well, but that's... The dinosaur's breath doesn't seem to matter. Nothing nothing matters. Well, exactly. So that's part of my point. So, um, you know, they're hurling weapons at each other. These are big, huge creatures, whatever. I mean, especially the dinosaur thing. And, you know, long term... Yeah, sure. Optimus Prime still has his smash windshield for when Kirk hit him. But for the most part, you know, there aren't any consequences. Now, mind you, 
I didn't know about that movie they made where half of the original Transformers were destroyed or whatever. But it seems like the kind of thing that, you know, it's like He-Man or whatever. You know, they go ahead and fight each other, but, right. you know, for the most part, nobody gets hurt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Transformers, as far as Saturday morning cartoons, um, it, 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 was, it didn't always hit the reset button. It, it more than a lot of the other ones from the time. It, it had consequences going forward. Oh, okay. Because it would have, like, Starscream trying to create a rebellion against Megatron and then losing, and then he's, you know, off on his own for a while, and then he would come back. And So, uh, you know, as a kid, I didn't really pick up on it, but, but now that I've noticed that uh, the reset button in a lot of shows, uh, I realize that that was actually pretty cool back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. All right. Anything else for this one? Um, I I do like it. And you mentioned it before. So I like how Spock admits how illogical it is for a, a Cybertonian to take the form of a fire-breathing T-Rex. They have they have Godzilla on on Cybertron, obviously. Well, okay, and that's what I was starting to think. It's like, okay, where are they going to have the Godzilla versus Transformers crossover? Oh man, that'd be good. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll be the next one we review. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Maybe an April Fool's one. Okay. And that's all I got for this one. So. All right. So uh, next episode, two, what, what, what number are we on? 296? 297 is next week. 297. All right. So it looks like there's two more issues of this series so we'll oh. do those two okay and uh, they'll be out in time hopefully mm, by the time we edit it sure <laughs> <laughs> okay got it so we'll do those two and then uh, fill with something else probably right maybe we'll squeeze a gold key in or, or something else there you go so it'll be a mystery for you guys listening exactly yeah. we'll have the one random one thrown in so, anyways, I'm looking forward to this series uh, finishing off. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, too. Just have to, um, you know, just relax. Take it for what it is. And enjoy the story and what happens. And Still the cool the bits. Enjoy the cool bits. Like transforming D7s and Starship-class starships. Yeah, I kind of wish that uh, the dinosaur looked more like the D7, like, like the Enterprise does. Mm. In its robot form. Yeah, they really didn't try that much, did they? Right. I mean, they. I think maybe on its butt. Is is that the top part of the? Uh... I don't even think they tried. I'm like we already. <laughs> had, he just became the dinosaur completely. Right. Exactly. All right. Okay. okay. Well, well, thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with uh, the conclusion of the series. Oh yes, we will be back. No problem with that. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. And happy 2019. <laughs> or 2020. Or, or 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on when we finally get this out the door. Okay. Exactly. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. 
You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.